the Word of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you. You are indeed a great and awesome God. And Lord, we ask as we go to your Word right now that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. Give us ears to hear what your Spirit would say to us this morning. I pray for anybody who's new here that they would feel welcomed and loved. Lord, because we know that you brought us all here by divine appointment. Nothing happens by chance. Be glorified today. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said... Amen. So if you've been coming, you know that when you look at the, these, the last three books we looked at are called pastoral epistles. They're being written by the apostle Paul from prison. He's writing to his sons in the faith. When we get to Titus, Titus is where Timothy was in Ephesus. Titus, Titus is on the island of Crete. We've been talking about how Crete was known and described as a place where lazy and gluttonous and immoral people lived, liars. And then it's testified that that's even true of them. So here's what's happened. It's been 40 years since these church, since the Lord has returned to heaven. The churches are not that old. But in the midst of that, as we saw in Timothy, false teachers have come in. The word of God is under attack. Immorality is running rampant. People are serving, other, are serving false gods. Kind of sounds like Southern California in 2021. Kind of get an amen. And so there's nothing new under the sun, but as he's writing this letter to his son in the faith, Timothy, and he's exhorting him on how the church ought to operate, as he is doing that, there's lessons for us. Because the way the church should operate in, two, in you know, AD 70 and the way it should operate today, there's no difference. Acts 2.42 says they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, the breaking of bread, fellowship, and prayer. And we're doing all four of those this morning. Praise the Lord. Amen. So chapter one, as always is the case with these letters, it always begins with belief or begins with doctrine. So we saw in the first chapter, the exhortation to get the church in order. How were they to do that? In the last couple of weeks, we saw by preaching God's word, proclaiming the truth of God's word with boldness. We have churches today that are getting further and further away from the word. And when you get away from the word, you're getting away from the God of the word and you cease to be a church and you become a religious country club. Can I get an amen? So faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And he's told him, look, I know that the churches around you are losing. I know that there's, there's problems. You just keep preaching the word. Titus, don't be ashamed. Then by raising up godly pastors and leaders, see, Titus was overseeing many churches on the island of Crete. And there needed to be those who were called and gifted by God leading in the churches. And he gives the qualifications. We've talked about this. There's 15 qualifications listed for a pastor. And I know that most of us aren't called to be pastors, but it should be the heart of every Christian. And there's 14 characteristics that speak of character and one that speaks of gifting. And too often we focus on gifting and we don't focus enough on character and character is our prerequisite. And then finally, as we looked at last week, by silencing false teachers. And again, this is not something that's easy, but, but the reality is that shepherds are not only to feed the sheep, but also to weed out the wolves. Amen. And those who are preaching a false gospel, they need to be called out. We want to restore them if possible, but if they're going to continue in that behavior. We have to protect the sheep from them and ask them to leave. And that was happening on the island of Crete. So the first, in all the, all the epistles, you see it. It starts off with belief and then goes to behavior. It starts off with doctrine and then it goes to duty. So now in chapter two, we're moving from the, from the doctrine section to the duty part. From the, what we believe. So in light of what he has commanded, how now should we behave? Titus chapter 2 is one of the most practical chapters. 
Because it talks about, as you look at the outline there, behavior becoming of belief, the practice of sound doctrine, first in the life of older men, then in the life of older women. I'm not going to describe who's older women and who's not, so don't even ask me. You'll know. In the life of younger women, in the life of young men, and then finally, how we are at work in response to our employers, and if we're an employer, how we treat our employees. And what I love about this, we're all covered here, amen? You might've been saying, well, I'm not a pastor. Well, you're an old man or a young man or an old woman or a young woman, you're one of those. Can I get an amen? And this applies to us, and they're very practical things that in the church, if you truly believe, then this is how you should behave. Can I get an amen? It's not a workspace salvation. But what it is, is it's fruit of the Holy Spirit. If you've truly been born again, you will live different. If the Spirit of God lives inside of you, you will not be like the world. So let's begin there in Titus chapter 2, beginning there in verse 1. We're going to take a look at behavior, becoming of belief, the practice of sound doctrine, and the life of an older man. Now, the last time I taught this chapter at Calvary Chapel Santa Cruz was 17 years ago. I'm an older man now. I wasn't then, I don't think, but I am now. So this applies to me, but applies to all of us. Look what it says there in verse one. But as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine. Go back to the verse, to verse 16. And this is what it ties to. He says, you know, when he says, but, or he says, therefore, he's always referring back to the previous thought. Verse 16 of chapter one says, they profess to know God, but in works they deny him, being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified for every good work. So this is what's happening around him. People proclaiming some to be Christians. They're living lives that are not glorifying to God. He's saying, look, their behavior is ungodly. But as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine. Teach the people what sound doctrine will look like practically in their lives. Have belief reflected in your behavior. In the different age groups within the church, he's going to then give them really practical applications on what the Christian life should look like and how Christians should behave. Now, I will tell you this. When I taught this in Santa Cruz, right after that, a group of women came up to me and said, I want, we want to start a Titus 2 ministry because what you're going to see here is that the older men should be ministering to the younger men and the older women should be ministering to the younger women. Because if you've been walking with the Lord for a period of time, if you've already, you know, if you've been married and had kids and maybe you have grandchildren, you can minister to somebody who's newly married or getting married or still single. You can minister to somebody who's just starting to have children and maybe they don't have a godly example in their life. So as we read, the, read through this, understand it's a way that we should live, but we should also be an example to others and use this as an opportunity to minister to others. Look at verse two. It says that the older men be sober. We just can't get away from that word, can we? Talk about be not drunk with wine, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And I know this is a great debate with a lot of Christians, but you know what? I love what Pastor Chuck said. I love this. He says, when I'm considering whether or not I should do something, I say, can God be glorified through it? Will my relationship with the Lord grow because of it? Could I stumble others if I do it? And then what if the entire church did what I'm doing? What would it look like? 
And I love that. I use that in my life often. Like if I'm considering doing something, is this something that will glorify God? Is this something that will bring me closer to the Lord? If I do it, could it stumble others? And if everybody followed my example, what would the church look like? And here's the reality. I'm big on erring on the side of holiness. Look, I'm thankful we're saved by grace, not of works as any man should boast. Can I get an amen? amen. So it's the grace of God that delivers us. But, the, but you know, grace is not, it's freedom from sin, not freedom to sin. Amen. We've been delivered from it, but we should not live like it. We're in the world, but not of the world. Our boat is in the water, but the water shouldn't get in the boat. Can I get an amen? amen? So this is who we are in Christ. And so the first thing he says to older men, be sober. The word sober there is calm and well-balanced. In a city that was overrun with depravity, these older men were to be different. In contrast to the flightiness of youth, you know, young people, you know, they're just kind of like this sometimes, right? Depending on the young people. And their lives are just all over the map. They don't know what they're going to do, what I'm going to do with my life. I don't know. You know, an older man should be calm and be an example to them that, you know, I've lived through life. And when even in the midst of difficulty, hey, guys, been through it a hundred times. God's still in control. We're going to be fine. Hey, this, pandem- this pandemic, is God in control? He is a faithful God. He knows what he's doing. And we're going to come out the other side of this just fine. Can I get an amen? The worst thing that could happen to me is I get COVID and go to heaven. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. But most people get COVID, don't die. COVID is not unto death for the most part. Can I get an amen? But we don't take it lightly either, right? So we want to be, we want to be faithful with that. But too often people panic. And they become fearful. And as he told Timothy, as Paul was sitting about to be beheaded and Christians were being fed to lions, he told Timothy, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. Preach the word, bro. Can I get an amen to that? And that's why this church will always be open. Can I get an amen? By the way, praise God. You saw the Supreme Court this week? Churches are now allowed to be back inside. So praise God. Amen. And praise God for that. And, and, and by the way, we listen to the government until they tell us to disobey God, and we've been listening to God instead. Can I get an amen? amen? So a steady person, in contrast with the wildness and flightiness of youth, steadiness that results from sound doctrine and spiritual maturity. Age doesn't always equate to spiritual maturity, but it can. And the truth is, it should. Can I get an Amen. You should be able to go to somebody who's been saved 40 years, 30 and, and is older and has lived life and get godly counsel. Unfortunately, that's not always the case. I will say this too. Older men, and we'll see this with older women, sometimes as you get older, especially if you're retired, you have more time on your hands. It's not in the Bible, but it's an accurate statement that idle hands can indeed be the devil's workshop. Amen. When you have too much time on your hands, I can't tell how many people I've met, they're older, they're retired, and all of a sudden they develop you know, they sit around and drink alcohol. They sit around and look at stuff they shouldn't look at. There's just too much time. Instead of taking that time and devoting it to the Lord and spending time in his word and ministering to others, they feed their flesh. And this is what he's telling older men should not be that way. They should be sober-minded. Again, a steadiness that results from sound doctrine and spiritual maturity. Then he says, not only sober, but reverent. Reverent, that means serious-minded, dignified, respectable. I love that. You know what? By the way, we need to get back to this. When I grew up, older men were sir and older women were ma'am. Can I get an amen? And I learned from my dad. I never said to my dad, hey, son, go take out the trash. Yeah, that wouldn't happen. Uh, there'd be the belt of learning applied to the seat of, you know, right? <laughs> you know, don't do that. I answered my parents, yes, yes, sir, and yes, ma'am. And even now, I just was, I have some clients that are older than me or about my age, and I, I call them sir. Yes, sir. How can I help you, sir? 
And I think that's respectable. Can I get an amen to that? But we should be people that don't demand respect. We should be people that earn it by the way we behave. If you demand it, you don't have it. Amen? But if we live in such a way where there's respect, that's the kind of man that an older man should be. Serious-minded, dignified, respectable. He shouldn't be a clown. He can be funny. It's okay to be funny. Nothing wrong with being funny. Amen? But we shouldn't be clowns, especially in talking to pastors in the previous text. You know, pastors should not be guys who do not take this seriously. This is not a stand-up comedy routine up here, right? We're delivering the living, breathing word of God that transforms lives, and we should be studied up, prayed up, and take it serious. Amen? If natural humor comes out, that's fine. I use the example, it's okay if I'm going into surgery and my surgeon tells me a joke and I laugh a little bit while he's putting me under, that's fine. But if he comes in on a, on a unicycle wearing a clown outfit, I want another surgeon. Can I get an amen? And the same is true of pastors. And a lot of times you'll see them just break to, or you'll see older people and they'll just be really humorous, but humorous that's off color and it's, it, they need to be sober-minded, amen? They need to be respectable. One who commands respect by the way that he lives, someone who acts his age. Again, respect is earned, not demanded. And we need people that are respectable. Older men to be respected, true respect, again, you know, and again, whatever happened to serve. Not only is he, is he sober and reverent, but he's temperate. And temperate words mean self-controlled. He's well-balanced. He's not subject to super high highs and super low lows. And we're seeing some of that right about now, aren't we? Where, you know, the Christian, where the world is just up and down. Oh, the restaurants are open. Oh, I go back to work. Now I can't. And I get it. And there's, there's things going on in life where their walk with the Lord depends on what happened in the last 15 minutes. You know, their, their mentality, they get fearful. They get afraid. They're worried all the time. They're anxious. That's not what a, an older man should look like. He should be somebody whose walk with the Lord is steady. His focus is on God, not on the circumstances and the things of the world. And he's somebody that other people who are panicked and worried can come to. Because they, they look at him and say, there's somebody who's not panicked. There's somebody whose eyes are on the Lord. I can trust him. My wife would say to me from time to time, we'd be going through difficult times. She'd say, you know, babe, if I look at you and you're not worried, then I'm not worried. And as husbands and fathers, we need to be those people. Amen. That our family can look at us and we're not afraid because we know that God is Jehovah Jireh, or God our provider. We know that he's faithful. We know that he's in control and we can trust him. And let's keep our eyes on Jesus, not on our circumstances. Why did they panic when the Lord said we're going to the other side in the boat? They all panicked because their eyes were on their waves when Jesus was sleeping in the boat. If you keep your eyes on Jesus and not on the waves, you'll never panic. Can I get an amen? But if you keep your eyes on the things going on around you, you'll become fearful. Older men are to be temperate. They don't easily get worked up about things. By the way, a faith that hasn't been tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. It's a testing of our faith that produces patience, that molds us more into the image of our Savior. Every trial we go through is a learning and a growing opportunity. No suffering is wasted. Amen? And when you see someone whose faith has been tested again and again and again, and they continue to walk with the Lord, and they continue to be unwavering, those are the type of people that we want to get counsel from. Some of the guys I love to teach in the Bible, I'm no, John Corson lost his wife, then lost his daughter, then lost his son, and that brother does not waver. And I love to get counsel. I love to hear people like that that have lived life and have kept their eyes on the Lord. Their faith has been tested and their faith is proven it can be trusted. Amen? And that's what should be evident in the lives of older men. Again, an older man can say to a younger man when he panics, it's okay, been through it. God's still good. God's still on the throne. God's not surprised. He's a faithful God. Not only sober, 
reverent, temperate, but sound in faith. Having witnessed firsthand the grace of God, having stepped out in faith and seen God show up in a mighty way. And again, experience is the best teacher, but it doesn't have to be your experience. Again, when someone's gone through great difficulty and they continue to trust God or they've stepped out in faith when God calls them to do something and they see God show up in a powerful way, that's an example that we can follow, but it's also an example that we can share with others as we've lived through it. That's why we need elders. That's why we need people that have walked with the Lord for a long time in the fellowship. We need people that are new Christians too. Can I get an amen to that? We want both, and, and, and we can interact. And sometimes a new Christian will, will remind you how blessed you are that you're saved because you just forgot for a while, amen? And I've heard people say, well, that, he's a new Christian. That's why he's so fired up. He'll, he'll, he'll mellow out. I think we should be more on fire when we've been saved 40 years than when we've been saved 40 minutes. Can I get an amen? Because we've been walking with the Lord. We have a relationship with him. And he says, sound in faith. Again, are you sound in faith? Are you a person of faith? Do people recognize you? That person has faith. And I love that. Not only sound in faith, but sound in love. Sometimes when you get older, you get cynical. I know none of you have ever met an old crotchety person before, but they're out there. Can I get an amen? You meet them. Ah, 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 ah. You're just like that all the time. You know, ah. You know, getting all out from lamps all my life. Ah, you know, they just got this attitude all the time. Young man, the world's going to just chew you up and spit you out. Ah, you know, that kind of mentality. And you meet older people like that. They're just bitter and they're hard. That should not be so of a Christian older man. Can I get an amen? A Christian older man should not be hard and cynical. As we grow older, we don't grow harder. We should grow softer. We should be kinder and more loving this world, you know, isn't going to chew us up and spit us out. What we can say is I've been walking with the Lord a long time. And let me tell you, young man, he's always been faithful. I've gone through great difficulties and trials, but our God is still in control. And you know what? I've seen God show up in mighty and powerful ways and share your testimony and let them know what God has done. It's sweet to see an older person who, who though they have been through great difficulty and trials, still have a softness and a gentleness, a love for God and a love for others. When I was at Calvary San Jose uh, in the 90s, uh, I was a youth pastor there. My dad was the pastor of the seniors. So the seniors, some, they were usually 70s, and we had people that were 100 in this group. And they would meet at nine o'clock before church. And my dad would have me come in from time to time and share with the seniors. And I love sharing with the seniors because they were the most kind and gentle people. They've been walking with the Lord a long time. The old ladies would I bet be covered in lipstick at the end of the, you know, the old ladies come up and kiss you on the face and, and they tell you, I'm praying for you, pastor. I'm praying for you as you minister to our youth. And they meant it. Can I get an amen? And they had such a gentleness. And when they would worship and they would sing hymns in there, which made sense, they would sing hymns. I'd be in tears in the back. And I just loved how they've been walking with the Lord for a long time. And they just loved the Lord more than ever. There was one couple, the guy was 101 and she, and she was 98 and they'd both been widowed and they got married. You got to love that. Can I get an amen? Till death do us part. He's like, well, that won't be long. But here's the reality. <laughs> here's the reality though. As we grow older, we should grow more like our savior. Amen. amen. The more time we spend with him, the more we should become like him. And I would, I would go do the seniors anytime my dad would ask, because I just loved coming in there. And they were so kind and so loving and so gracious. And there was a bunch of prayer warriors. Every once in a while, my dad and I would switch. My dad would go minister to the youth. My dad was in his seventies. 
I was in my 30s. I go minister to the, to the seniors, and I loved it. It was a blessing. And so that should be our heart. As we grow older, we should become more gentle and kind and loving. And the seniors at Calvary Chapel San Jose were some of the kindest, most loving people I've ever met. Well, not only sober and reverent and temperate and sound in faith and in love, but also in patience. The word there is hupomone and and in original language. And does anybody strive with being impatient besides me? Lord, give me patience right now. You know, that kind of mentality. And there's this mentality that, you know, God says we should be patient because here's the reality. We pray in our time and God answers in his time and his timing is perfect. Amen. And sometimes we don't understand. I know people in this room that have been praying to be married for decades. And here's the good news. It's better to wait than to marry the wrong person. Can I get an amen to that? Some of us have been praying for different things, ministries or or, or areas where we, we want, oh Lord, should I move or should I do this? Guys, be patient and wait upon the Lord because you do not want to get out in front of him. Amen. We want to walk step in step. We want to be in the center of his will. God has a perfect will and a permissive will. And we should not be happy living outside of his will. Sign of spiritual maturity is recognizing everything doesn't have to happen in five minutes. Or even five weeks or five months or five years. Do you know that God revealed to my heart and the heart of my pastor in Lancaster that I was called to plant a church. And I didn't plant a church for another 10 years after that. Because God had a lot of work to do in me and he still has a lot of work to do. We're not, none, none of us has arrived. Can I get an amen to that? We're all still growing in our relationship with the Lord. But I'm thankful for those extra 10 years that I spent as a youth pastor because, and as a men's ministry pastor, I learned a lot. And then when I went and planted a church, I was better prepared. God knows what's best. Amen. Wait upon the Lord. This older person has entered into God's rest and he's willing to wait upon the Lord He's one who's experienced God's grace and he's learned to be patient. Again, it's okay to say to a younger person, God is always right on time. Again, they can share their experience and they can give you practical advice and they should be those who have patience. Someone who's impatient is immature. Amen. And what is the fruit of the Holy Spirit? Love to have patience is in that list. Amen. And so may we be patient waiting upon the Lord. We had, we've moved three times since our church started, but twice of them we moved in a very short amount of time. And you know what? We just met with the school here this week. And unless something else comes up, we're going to move here permanently. They're going to build a gym. We're going to have a sanctuary that seats four to 500 people. And we're going to reach people for the kingdom of God. God knows what he's doing. Can I get an amen? We never anticipated that. We never anticipated that, but God divine, we got kicked out because of COVID and God brought us over here. So God, God uses trials to bring us to where he wants, wants us to be. Remember when they got in that boat and the waves kicked up, they still ended up exactly where God told them they were going. He didn't tell them there were a lot of waves in the middle. Amen. And so we, we trust in the sovereignty of God. So in the life of an older man, sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, sound in love, patient. In the life of an older woman, and again, I'm not going to tell you who that is. He'll figure out if you're older or younger. That, you know, amen. But it says in the life of an older woman that she too is to be reverent in behavior. Again, behavior that becomes holiness. Living a life consecrated to the Lord. If you've been walking with the Lord for a long time, we all should be able to look back on life and say, I'm closer to God today than I was back then. And if you're not as close to God as you used to be, who moved? Amen. Amen. God didn't move, we did. We move away from him. 
And the good news is we can take hundreds of steps away. It truly is only one step back. And so an older woman, someone who's lived a while, she should be a woman who has behavior that becomes holiness. If people look at how you live your life, holiness should be reflected from it. Holiness in the way you talk. Holiness in the things you watch. Holiness in the things that you do. You should be an example that the younger Christian women can look to, that your children and grandchildren can look to, and say that's what a godly woman looks like. I love that picture. It's so, it's so precious. Again, older women who love the Lord. Women who've raised their children. And again, there's two extremes. Once your children are raised and out of the house, maybe you have an empty nest, you're starting to have grandchildren, and you're, you know, an older woman to some degree, right? But you know what? Now you can say, well, now it's time for me to begin my life because God has more he wants to do with me with the time he's given me. Or you can feel like you've lost your sphere of influence. We're going to talk about being a mom and how important that is. But a lot of times when your kids grow up, move away, or they've got their own families now, it's kind of like, whoa, I mean, what do I do now? I've been raising my kids. I've been ministering to my family. What do I do now? Well, the reality is that older women, like older men, do not retire. They still have a great ministry to fulfill. And again, the Christian families in Crete was a very deprived society, and there was a need for Christian examples and instruction among the young wives and mothers. There needed to be an example to say, well, I don't, how do I do this? How do I care for my family? How do I do all these things? And to have somebody who's lived it for decades to be able to speak into their life and encourage them in their walk with the Lord and how to practically live it out. Older women were to bring a, a biblical perspective to a younger generation to nurture a godliness among the young. Then it says again there that we're reverent in the, in the King James that they be in behavior that becomes holiness, living a life consecrated to the Lord, unlike the world. Older women, and all women, should dress modestly. Can I get an amen? We talked about this when we were looking at it a while back. Just remember, remember ladies, what you use for bait will determine what you catch. Amen? You know what a godly man's attracted to? A godly woman. You know what a fleshly man's attracted to? You dress him in an inappropriate way and attracting his eyes and stirring up his flesh and stirring up his hormones. And then you get involved with this person and then you're shocked when he's not a godly man. Amen. So be patient, wait for the one God has for you. And I think older women, you set the example for younger women of what modesty looks like. Amen. I'll be honest with you. There's nothing more nauseating than an older woman dressing inappropriately. Stop it. Can I get an amen? Stop it. Don't do that. Don't do that. Inappropriate. If the bar needs painting, paint it, but cover it up. Can I get an amen? <laughs> cover it up. Revent not only in dress, but in attitude and in outward actions. So their attitude and their, and their outward actions and the way that they dress should be honoring to the Lord. And it should be something where people respect, see respect and, and want to follow after their example. One who pursues and walks in holiness. And not only that, I want to encourage older ladies, look for younger women. There are younger women that have never had a godly example in their life, really. Maybe their mom didn't know the Lord or didn't grow up with her, whatever it might be. And it's an opportunity for you to minister to them and be an example to them of what a godly woman looks like. So not only is she, not only is she, it say there that 
she is reverent. It also says that reverent in behavior, but not slanderers. The word in Greek, it's diabolos, devils. Don't be a devil. Well, here's the reality. Who's the father of lies? You know, gossip, slander, that's, de- that's Satan-like. Who's the truth? So when you tell the truth, you're being Christ-like. And when you lie and slander and gossip, you're being Satan-like. Amen? And again, as you get older, there could be more free time. And with more free time, more opportunity to slander others and talk about other people and gossip. And, and again, older women to not fall into the temptations of idleness, of gossip and slander and making false accusations. Tell the truth, be Christ-like. Do not slander and lie and be Satan-like. And again, those idle hands come back. That's why we shouldn't have idle hands. We've got a vapor of time to serve the Lord. And I know that my length of time is a lot less now than it was before. Amen. And as I grow older and look at eternity and this vapor of time I have to stand for the things of God, I want to finish strong. Amen. I want to be faithful with the time he's given me. I'm not looking to, you know, retire and, and sit in a rocking chair on a lake somewhere. I pray like Pastor Chuck, who was in his, in his 80s, he taught on Sunday and he went to heaven on Tuesday. And I'm all for that. Can I get an amen? Let's finish strong for the Lord. Let's take whatever time we have left. Because when this time has come and passed, only what we've done for Christ will last. And the only thing we're taking to heaven with us is people. Amen. And the older women are to be an example. Notice what it says also of the older woman, just like the older men, not given to much wine. Another potential temptation of idleness is just self-medicating and drinking and or whatever else it might be. And alcoholism is very high among older, older men and older women. They've got a lot of time on their hands. They, you know, they don't have get up and go to work necessarily anymore. And they can just sit and feed the flesh and self-medicate and watch nonsense on television all day. Or they can be using the gifts God has given them and the experience that they've learned through all the years of walking with the Lord to minister to others. Amen? If Satan can't take you to hell with him, he'll do everything that he can to make you ineffective for the kingdom of God until you get to heaven. And we as believers, again, every day, pray for divine appointments every day and watch what God does. Go through the church directory. We're getting a new one coming out here soon. And pray for the people in the directory. Pray how you can minister to them. Pray, if you're still working, pray for your coworkers. Pray for your neighbors. It's amazing how God brings divine appointments. Just, Lord, bring me an opportunity to represent you well. Not given to much wine. And we've got a problem. We don't need spirits. We have the Holy Spirit. Amen? We don't, and, and we don't need to do... Now, by the way, I say this every time we hit it, but it's in here over and over. I went out and drank a bunch of alcohol and made a bunch of good decisions. Said no one ever. Can I get an amen? (laughs) Drinking alcohol and good decisions are soon parted. You end up doing something foolish that you regret. And you can't blame it on the alcohol. You need to blame it on your choice to drink it. Can I get an amen? And if you know if if alcohol is a problem for you. If alcohol is a problem for you and, and has been any time in your life, you need to stay away from it for the rest of your life. Amen? And if you... Have the freedom, you feel, to have a glass of wine with dinner. That's between you and the Lord. And I've told you before, our pastors uh, all have the conviction that we shouldn't drink. And if they didn't have that conviction, they wouldn't be a pastor here. Amen? Truth. Amen? Because why? We want to be an example, don't we? 
Even if you don't have a problem with it, you drinking in front of somebody else could cause them to stumble. Notice also, so live lives set apart unto holiness. And then it says at the end there, teachers of good things. Passing on godly wisdom gained through experience to the next generation. What are they to do? They're not to be given to wine, but they are to be teachers of good things. Many have seen not even one good example, again, of homes and lives in their entire life. No doubt many young women never had a godly example. So you teach good things to the generation behind you. You be an example because they're, they're being bombarded by the world. They're being bombarded by entertainment. They're bombarded by social media. And, and, and sad, I see young women on social media and some of them I have to block. I mean, because you know, I'm on radio stations and stuff and I pastor churches. I have a lot of friends on Facebook and sometimes it's somebody I know and I just have to, because every day they're showing themselves how I don't care. I want to pray for you though. Can I get an amen? And the women that find their worth and getting likes from men when they dress scantily, they need to know that their value is in their relationship with the Lord and that Jesus loves them so much he'd rather die than live without them, not having a bunch of perverted eyes looking at them and having thoughts that are evil. Can I get an amen to that? And so the older women need to come alongside. If you see a younger woman, you know what? Call them up. Take him out, get, get a Coke or something and say, hey, I saw this. I just want to tell you that it's not going to end well. The Lord loves you. Just, he made you just the way you are. Man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. Amen? Amen. And that's what we need to point them to. Amen? And, and a lot of times, too, it's it, not, well, every time, it's more appropriate to have older women have that conversation with younger women than even the pastors. Can I get an amen? Because they can say, I, they get it. They have an example. So be teachers of good things. So in the life of older women, reverent, not slanderers, not given to wine, teachers of good things. In the life of a younger woman, let's begin there. Look what it says here in verse 4. That they admonish the young women to love their husbands. Amen? Godly, spiritual, mature, to teach the younger women... Been said, again, experience is the best teacher. It doesn't have to be our experience, but we can get it from others. Seven things that are to admonish the young women to do. Number one, to love their husbands. To make their marriage a priority in their life. Your relationship with your spouse comes only behind one thing, your relationship with the Lord. My relationship with Lynette comes before my relationship with my kids. My wife is my favorite person. Amen? Amen? And I love her more than anything. And she, and, I say, and she says, don't say that. I'm going to say it anyway. From my perspective, the most beautiful woman in the world. So get over it. Amen. But every husband should feel that way about his wife. Can I get an amen? amen. And, every, and, we should, and our children should see that we love our spouses. Amen. They should, say, they should see how a husband and wife love each other. We're not perfect. We make mistakes. But they should see that love and it should be evident. And the exhortation to younger women is you don't just get married and then run off and you're so involved with your career or you're so involved with your hobbies that you don't make your husband a priority. He needs to be a priority. And husbands, your wives need to be a priority. Can I get an amen to that? You don't grow apart. You choose to walk away from each other. Love is a choice. It's not a feeling. Amen? And you choose to love each other. Sometimes I wonder why people get, get married. Their relationship is such a low priority. They get married and they're just like, well, if we happen to see each other. And, and the reality is our lives can be busy and we can get caught up. We need to take time, just go to lunch, to have dates, to, to spend time with each other, to, you know, to talk to each other, encourage each other, pray with each other. And again, often 
The relation to marriage comes behind their career and their hobbies and other friendships. And by the way, let me just make this clear. Married men, you should not have relationships with single women. Can I get an amen to that? Or other married women. What I mean by that is you talk, your friendship, but you don't, you don't go to lunch with them by yourself. You're not sitting there talking on the phone. And no, no. Can I get an amen to that? And be careful on social media, how you interact. Have there been a few affairs taking place because of social media? Millions of them, amen? Marriage is destroyed. My, my, uh, my social media says, my David and Lynette Johnston, I want everybody to know that's talking to me. They're talking to my wife at the same time. Can I get an amen to that? And we should be, have a relationship that you should never say something in front of someone else if your wife or your husband wasn't standing right next to you, Amen. So you want to honor them even when they're not present. And she's telling them here, love your husbands. Teach the younger women that their marriage is a priority. Again, second only to their walk with the Lord. Don't give your husband, don't give your wife what's left. Don't expend it on everyone else and then give them what's left. Look, I love my children. I love my grandchildren so much it hurts, but I love my wife more. She's the one that we're one flesh. Amen. In Crete, people like today were very self-absorbed and self-centered. It was a city known to be filled with liars and evil beasts and lazy gluttons. Your marriage is in a divorce. Again, it can be one, just one person. You may have been faithful and godly and the other person wasn't. Now you've been divorced and God, God's a gracious God. Amen. It's not the unpardonable sin. But here's the reality. It takes effort to make a marriage work. Can I get an amen from the married people? Amen. It takes effort. You take effort. You need to, you need to invest in it. Now, back then, and it's still true today, marriages were arranged. And you know what? When I go to, when I go to India, it's amazing. I meet these Christian young men and women, and I, I'll, I'll meet someone, and I'll be talking to a group of them, and, and I'll, say, how, you know, I'll say to the guys, how many of you are married? I'll say to the guys, how many of you guys are married? How many of your marriages were arranged? All of them. And then I'll say to them, well, how do you feel about an arranged marriage? And I remember this one gal was so, so on them. I videoed, I said, say that over again. I'm showing this to my daughter. She wasn't married yet. <laughs> I'm all about arranged. I'm good with arranged. Joshua, Joshua Camper and I were talking about one of my grandsons and one of his daughters. I'm good with that. Can I get an amen? <laughs> I want him raised in a Christian home. I'm good with it. But here's what's amazing. In India, when, when I asked these godly young women and these young men, tell me, you know, this one woman, she had just gotten married. She said, well, first of all, knowing that my parents picked him out and my parents loved Jesus, I trust that God is going to show them the right man for me. And because I was waiting for him, I was just praying for him. And I didn't date anybody else. I wasn't out looking at everybody who walked around. I just kept my eyes on Jesus and waited for God's timing. And she said, we've been married nine months and he's the most amazing man in the world. And I'm so thankful that God brought him to me. And by the way, in India, the divorce rate is 4% where they arrange marriages. I'm like, sign me up for that program. Can I get an Amen. The reality is because your parents love you, your parents know what's best for you, and there's nothing wrong with that. Sadly, instead, today, you, uh, you see a girl across the room, I'm in love. You're not in the love. You're in heat. Settle down. Put a fire hose on that guy. Can I get an amen? You need to learn to choose to love the person, again, that my mom and dad picked out for me because love is a choice. Older women, some of whom may have had their husbands, uh, go be with the Lord. They've endured the difficult times. They miss their spouse. And they can speak into the young people's lives. You know what? 
I wish I could do it, some of it over and spend more time with my husband or my, with my wife. And that's an example that you can give to that younger generation. Could speak from both a, a, a experience and wisdom. I've been where you are and God came through. And also that time, the time is short. It's amazing. It doesn't feel like it's Christmas about every three months now. I mean, the older I get, faster time goes. My grandson Titus just turned 12. I'm like, really? And so I'm like, they're just, time just is clipping by. Life is but a vapor. And we need to be faithful with the time that God has given us. Amen? Older women admonish the young women to love their husbands, to make their marriage a priority. The only thing more important than your marriage is your relationship with Christ. And the only more important decision you're going to make than giving your life to Jesus is who you're going to spend the rest of your life with. Amen? But not only admonish them to love their husbands, but to love their children. Now, everybody goes, well, hard to imagine a mom who didn't love their children. Because that's, that's, you know, I remember the first time I held my daughter, I was undone. I, you, you look at them, you love them, you're ready to die for them right now. You, you know, when she said, daddy, what do you need? You go at the house, it's all yours, right? So my, I still call her baby girl. She's 32 years old, doesn't matter. And the heart is that there's that, that supernatural love that God gives you for your children that is unconditional. Can I get an amen to that? It's so true. But it's one thing to love them. It's another thing to make them a priority. Kids spell love, T-I-M-E. Amen. And when I was growing up, my dad was so busy that he missed out. I played, I played football from the time I was seven until I was in my 20s. And I think my dad made it to two or three games because he was a CEO of a company and pastoring a church. And there was always some ministry that needed to take place. And I, again, it didn't kill me. My dad loved me. I love my dad. He's my best friend outside of my wife. So, but because of that example... If there was one dad at a two o'clock game on a Thursday, three hours away, it was me. I scheduled everything. I was at all my kids. If I wasn't out of the country, I was at every one of my kids' games. Um, we, we won the snack bar award because we had so, so many hours at the Little League field because we had three kids three years apart. And we'd be there from nine in the morning till four o'clock. And then I'd study all night for church. Because the reality is, kids spell love, T-I-M-E, amen? And you can say you love your kids, but then you're always too busy for them. Pick up a glove and go play catch and turn the TV off and tell your kids, show your kids you love them. Can I get an amen to that? You minister to your kids. Pray with your kids. Love on your kids. And love on your wife to be an example to your kids of what a godly marriage should look like. Can I get an amen to that? And he's saying that older women need to teach the, the, the younger women to see the loving and raising of godly children as a calling and a ministry. For the wife and the mom, her number one priority should be her home. Uh-oh, people just got mad right now. When this gets on the radio, there's going to be phone calls. Your first place of ministry at a mom is your home. The number one calling of a wife and mother is to love and minister to her husband and her children. Above her ministry in the church, above her careers, above her hobbies, and above her friends. Can I get an amen to that? And even above your animals. Hello. Come on, amen. I got about eight. And then my wife just said, Hey. <laughs> Sometimes Buster's a little above Pastor Dave on the list sometimes. <laughs> Society may look down on the calling of a wife and mother. They see it as a lack of real accomplishment. But the truth is there is no more strategic position of influence in the world than being a mom. The time you invest in your children will change them for eternity. Can I get an amen to that? Amen. A godly mom... Loving on her kids, 
making them a priority, being passionate and, and you know, taking the time to say, this is how I'm going to show them love is so important. You know, it's been said, not in the Bible, certainly, the hand that rocks the cradle rules the world, but godly moms are far more influential in their children's lives than any teacher, friend, or elected official ever will be. Can I get an amen? And we need moms, younger women, to know what it means to be a godly wife and mother. It impacts not only society, but eternity. It says in First John, I know no greater joy than know my children walk in the truth. There's no amount of worldly riches or sense of accomplishment that can touch uh, children that love the Lord. For a godly mom, nothing can compare to the joy of raising godly children. Nothing greater or more eternally significant than a woman who invests her time, energy, and gifting than being a godly mom and wife. Here's what, here's what the world says. Oh, you're a stay-at-home mom? How do you fulfill, feel fulfilled in that? Don't you want to go out and make a bunch of money that's all gonna, and buy stuff that's all going to burn? Don't you want a bigger pile of dirt? Don't you want to go out into the world and focus on the world and have your kids raised by strangers at the daycare? Now, look, I know we live in an expensive place and sometimes both have to work when the kids are small, but that should be the exception and not the rule. Amen. And I want to say to the men here, you should work. If I have to work, had to work three jobs so my wife could stay home with my kids, I would have done it because you know what? I would tell my wife the money I make, praise God for it. God provides for our family, but the impact you have on our children will last a lifetime and potentially for an eternity. Can I get an amen to that? And so we don't look down on moms. We, we're thankful for them. Amen? And women make the house a home. It says in Proverbs 31, Who can find a virtuous wife for her worth is far above rubies? At the same time, there are few things that are as foolish as the neglect of a God-ordained calling of a loving wife and mother in order to pursue worldly accomplishments and wealth and praise. While there's no higher calling than to be a godly mom, it is something that young women don't always grasp. And someone needs to come alongside them and let them know that, again, being a godly wife and mother is the highest calling you could have. It's wrong to be married and not make your husband a priority. And it's wrong to be a mom who doesn't make her children a priority. Amen. And it's so important. No greater joy and satisfaction in life than to first have walked with God and then to have been a godly wife and mother who loved her husband, who raised her kids in, in the ways of the Lord. To be a, a mom is an incredible blessing. To have a child knit together in your womb by the Lord, to give birth to a brand new life, to love, feed, care for, clothe, protect, nurture these precious little ones from the day your child is born into adulthood, to watch them grow, to mend their wounds, to instruct and disciple them. Such a precious thing. To truly unconditionally love them. My mom, I haven't seen my mom in a year because she has, she's in a, a uh, she's got Alzheimer's and she's in a home where they won't let anybody in because of COVID. I'm going up there the weekend after next. Pray that they let me in because I might get arrested otherwise. But here's the reality. I haven't seen my mom in a year. Pray for her every day. There's no substitute for the love of a mother. Can I get an amen to that? And, and, and understand, young women, older women, as you teach them, don't ever let the world convince you that there is anything it has to offer that is as significant as being a godly wife and mother. Amen? And single ladies and those who are without children, know that the Lord has a special calling upon your lives as well. So be faithful to what God has called you to do. Be a godly wife, a godly mother, or one whose passions 
are fully focused on him. Notice what it says here. It says, admonish her to be, to love her husband, love her children, to be discreet. Discreet is sober-minded, self-control, wise and prudent in their conduct, to live a disciplined life. And undisciplined parents will raise undisciplined kids. Amen? So be an example to your kids. Older women admonish the younger women to live sober-minded, self-controlled, and disciplined lives. Then it says to be chaste. The word chaste there is pure in mind of heart uh, and thought. Remember living among depravity. The Christian wife is to be faithful to her husband in her mind and as well as her actions. It's to have purity in how she dresses, in the words she speaks, in the thoughts she entertains. A woman of modesty who does not stumble men with her appearance, nor flirt with her words. Her appearance, her speech, and her thoughts should be honoring unto the Lord. Now look at this. And people's heads are going to explode on the radio when they hear this. Notice what else it says. It says to love their husbands, love their children, be discreet, chaste, homemakers. What is this, the 50s? I wish. <laughs> Amen. The word means workers in the home. Cleanliness and order of the home, feeding and caring for her family. These are the priorities of a godly wife and mother. She's the one that truly makes a house a home. My house is a home because of my wife. And if my wife were not, our house would be a train wreck. Ask my boys. It's a, it, you know, it gets a mess if she leaves for three days. But the reality is our, our women, make your house a home. Make it a place that is comfortable and inviting for your family. And you can t often tell how a woman feels about her husband and her children when you walk into her house. Amen? And again, I, I get it. If you're really busy, I get it. But it's not easy to raise a family, discipline the children, keep the house clean, and have dinner on the table. But know that God not only, not only admonishes the young women to do so to the older women, but will reward those who are faithful. It's not easy, but it's worth it. Amen? A mother's love is not only heard in her words, but it's seen in her actions. A clean and comfortable home, family fed and cared for, it's often the little things that reflect a mother's love. It's funny the things you remember. I remember as a kid, my mom was, when, when there was a team mom for every sports team I was on, my mom was the team mom. When there was a room mom, my mom was the room mom. I knew that when I was practicing in the rain, Though I would come home, she would greet me at the door with a fresh towel right out, of the, right out of the dryer. There'd be chili on the table and the smell of chocolate chip cookies in the oven. And you know, that was my mom saying, I love you. Amen. Oh, it's raining. He's going to be wet when he gets home. I'm going to throw some dry. Little things. I remember this. This is 50 years ago. And I remember it. Amen. It's, my mom always told me she loved me. I know that she does, but she did little things to show me that she loves me. She was in the stands for every one of my game. She loved me unconditionally, even when I totaled my car on my 16th birthday, the day I got my license. <laughs> Something new you didn't know about Pastor Dave, huh? At the, At the boardwalk. Somebody listens. Amen. With busy schedules, kids going in all different directions, it's not always easy or even possible but it should be the desire of every godly wife and mother to truly make her house a home. Amen? And we appreciate those of you who have. Can I get an amen from the guys? Amen? amen. Praise God for our wives. Amen? amen? Praise the Lord. Then it says, admonish them to be good. Good can be translated kind. 
So she's admonishing the young women to be good. She doesn't rule over the children and household with an iron fist. But as it says in Proverbs 31, she opens her mouth with wisdom and her tongue is the law of kindness. It's, man, it's a tall order. I know it. Some of the women are going, thanks, Pastor Dave. Now I feel convicted and guilty and I got to go home and clean as soon as I get home. <laughs> I cooked something for the Super Bowl party, right? A clean house, a warm meal, and a kind heart may be a tall order, but the Bible says I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Amen? Men are to toil by the sweat of your brow all the days of your life. A lazy man is an ungodly man. Can I get an amen to that? So I'm, I'm not just, you know, we're talking about women, but guys, man up. Can I get an amen? Man up so your wife can be, do what she's called to do because you're doing what you're called to do. Amen, amen to that? Amen. I also believe it points to the fact that a godly wife and mom helps establish the difference between good and evil in the eyes of her children, both by what she teaches them and how she lives before them. And again, remember, called to be good in the midst of the evil Cretans. Notice it also says there, oh, here, oh it's just getting better, isn't it? Look at this. You guys ready to read the next verse? Here we go. Admonish them to be obedient to their husbands. Every woman, every feminist and every women's lib person's head just exploded when I read that. <laughs> Obedient to their own husbands. Are husbands greater than their wives? That's the answer. Absolutely not. Are they more important than their wives? That's the answer. Nope. They're more golly than their wives. Sometimes, sometimes not. Amen. It's, it's a position. Or wives are not less, but submission is an act of obedience. Amen. So my wife is loved by the Lord as much as I am. And I don't look at the fact that I'm in the role of the leader in my home so that I can go around and be a tyrant. I see it as responsibility to care for my wife, my family, my children. Amen. And I know I'm more accountable because of it. And so people say, well, we have to both agree on everything or we're not doing it. Well, then that means whoever disagrees is always going to run the house. At some point, Husbands, you be the spiritual leader. You love your wife. Here's what I have found to be true. If a man loves his wife, serves his wife as Christ loves the church, and he's a hardworking man and a godly man who prays, his wife will have no problem submitting to that man. Can I get an amen? But where it's abused is when a man is ungodly, lazy, doesn't provide for his family, then demands that his wife submit to him. That's a mess, and it's filling up my marriage counseling. Amen? That's not what the, the world says. Does Jesus submit to the Father? What's the answer? Is Jesus equal with the Father? What's the answer? Of course he is. So it's just as important. It's just, but it's just the way that God created the family to operate. I've done weddings where people say, yeah, get that obey out of there. I don't want that obey in there. Get that out. Love, honor, obey. No, I'm not doing that. We get a, you better get another pastor because that's biblical. Can I get an amen? If, you, if, you, if you're struggling with you know, letting him lead before you get married... This is not good. Amen. Young women were to submit to their husbands, acknowledge and support their role as leader in the house. It says in Ephesians, wives submit to your own husbands, ask to the Lord for the husband is the head of the wife as also Christ is the head of the church and he is the savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let wives be subject to their husbands, own husbands and everything. And a lot of husbands don't want to end right there. But then it says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. There shouldn't be a battle between husbands and wives for control. It's easy for a wife to submit to someone who's laying down his life for her 
and who loves her more than he loves his own soul. Amen? And it says that the word of God may not be blasphemed. See, the actions that the older woman want to teach the younger woman, as in the midst of a depraved and evil people, they should reflect that there is indeed something radically different about those who follow Christ. Everybody, anybody who knows you for any length of time should know there's something radically different about you than the world. Can I get an amen? And we're living in a time where they said we should be more like the world so we can reach the world. Well, people were not attracted to Jesus because he was like the world. They were attracted to Jesus because he was nothing like the world. You minister to the world, but have no fellowship with it. Amen. And so we are to be Christ-like examples and we should teach those younger in the faith so that the word of God might not be blasphemed. You know what blasphemes the word of God more than anything? A hypocrite. Amen. You say you're a Christian, you say you're a Christian, you say you're a Christian, and then your behavior is so unchristlike that even the world recognizes it. And when that happens, you do harm to the cause of Christ and you bring destruction to your testimony. Shows how important it is for the older women to teach these things, for the younger women to learn them. When Christians don't live a biblical, in, in a biblical and godly manner, the word of God may be blasphemed amongst unbelievers. Oh, there's another Christian cheating on his wife. There's another Christian ripping me off in a business deal. There's another Christian. As Christians, we represent Christ. It's sad to see the way family problems and even divorces among Christians cause unsafe people to sneer at the Bible. Our belief must impact our behavior that God may be glorified. Younger men. Now, if you're looking at the outline, you're like, why do young women have seven things and young men have one? Because this one is so hard for men, young men, they can't even focus on anything else. Look what it says. Likewise, exhort the young men to be sober-minded. The word sober-minded there, likewise, linking the word back to in the same way after the same manner, as there is a proper behavior becoming of belief among older men, older men, men, women, and younger women, so too there is among younger men. I exhort young men to be sober-minded. My, my grandson Titus was born on February the 6th, and we were visiting him in the hospital when he was born. It was his 12th birthday yesterday. And I went to grab a Bible. I said, Titus born on 2-6. I wonder what that says. And it says, I exhort you, young men, that you live sober-minded. I love that. The word exhort there means to implore, invoke, beseech. Sober-minded means self-controlled. How many self-controlled young men do you know? A lot of them are out of control. Amen? And if they don't have Jesus, they're definitely out of control. And that's what the difference Jesus makes in the life of a young man. Amen? He's actually a man who lives with self-control. Teach these young men that they can control themselves. That they must control themselves. That it's not an option. Amen? After such a long list for women, for young men, self-control is a big list all by itself. It's all they can handle. All young men must learn to live carefully, to take life seriously. Again, easier said than done. Here's, what, here's how most young men think. Well, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll be fine. I'll get through it. Whatever. And they'll make a choice to do something really foolish. And they think they're invincible. And they think they'll never get hurt. And even if they do, they'll recover. Can I get an amen from the young men? And that's this mentality that they have, that they live kind of with a reckless abandon, thinking nothing bad will come of it. And sadly, their lives fall apart because of it. It says, in all things, showing yourself a pattern of good works in doctrine, showing integrity, reverence, 
incorruptibility, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that one who is, uh, is an opponent may be ashamed having nothing evil to say to you. I can respond to my fleshly passions and escape my potential consequences. But then it goes on to say, in all things, showing good works. Self-control is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5.22. Titus, the young man himself, was to be a living pattern for all of the young men to follow. You need a pattern to follow. He's telling Titus, this is how you should live to, to show them how they should live. In doctrine, showing integrity. Integrity is mixing nothing with the truth. You don't add anything to truth. You don't take away from the truth. That's what integrity means. Showing uh, complete faith in the word of God. The word reverence is having full appreciation for the seriousness of your calling. Incorruptibility speaks of, the word there is without wax, word sincere. Talked about this before. Back in those days, a lot of times they would get over on people and here's how they would do it. They'd have a statue to sell. Maybe it cracked, the marble cracked and they'd spent months making this beautiful statue. And so what they would do is they would take wax and maybe the nose was broken off and they would melt the wax and shape it. And then they would sell it, make it look like it's whole. And then someone would take it home and put it out in their garden and the sun would hit it and the nose would fall off. And so they would say, is it sincere? Is it without wax? And you know what? We need not, we need, what, what you see should be what you get when it comes to a believer. Amen. We shouldn't be posing as one thing and then a little heat comes and our life falls apart. Amen. And that's the exhortation here that, that to be incorruptible, sound speech that cannot be condemned, healthy speech. The Bible says that no corrupt word should proceed out of your mouth. Amen. Words don't trickle out or slip out. They pour out from your heart. Amen. Out of the overflowing of a man's heart, his mouth speaks. You want to know what's on the inside? Listen to what comes out of their mouth. Can I get an amen to that? Oh yeah, that, you know, and by the way, as Christians, I don't know if some people say it's not that big a deal. Um, if Jesus was having dinner at your house, would you be cussing at the dinner table? Can I get a, guess what? He's always there. Can I get an amen? Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. And you shouldn't be watching the stuff that curses the name of our Savior. Can I get an amen? Don't be entertained by the very sins that Christ died for. He's telling him, be sound in, in, in speech that cannot be condemned. That one opponent, one who is an opponent, may be ashamed having nothing evil to say of you. It goes back to being blameless, without accusation from the outside. If we walk through your neighborhood, if we walk through your workplace and introduce everybody and tell them that you're a Christian, first of all, you should know it already. Can I get an amen? But if they don't, would they be surprised? Or would they say, that sounds about right? Guys, we should live in such a way that there's nothing the enemy can grab a hold of because they hear that we are a Christian. Speech so sound, so pure, so serious that those who would oppose you would be put to shame. He's not a hypocrite in either word or actions. A pastor's speech should be such that he stands without rebuke. Same man in private that he is in the pulpit. Can I get an amen to that? You should be the same person at work that you are at church. Let's finish up. Last point. Not only in the life of young men, but in the actions of Christian servants and employees. Look at verse 9. Exhort bondservants. The word bondservant there is doulos. It's a willing slave. It's a slave by choice. It's somebody who's paid off the debt to their master, is now free to go, but then chooses to remain an indentured servant to their master for the rest of their life by choice. Because while they were indentured to them, they loved it so much they didn't want to leave. So as Christians, we are bound by love, not by law. Can I get an amen? 
We're bound to him because we love him. We've made a conscious choice to be linked to our Savior. Now, the closest thing we have to that today, we're not doing it for a lifetime, but we're employees. And as employees, we've made a conscious choice to work where we work. Amen? And so as we work where we work, how should we work where we work? What kind of people should we be? A behavior of believers should be different from the world, even at work or in the most unbearable circumstances. Look what it says there, to be obedient to their own masters. So it's not just husbands and wives, but employers and employees. It's an attitude that a Christian worker should have. Christians should be the best workers in the building. Can I get an amen to that? You give a full day's work for a full day's pay. Can I get an amen to that? You should have a good attitude. You should be a Christ-like example. should be an example that the other uh, employees want to follow and a person that works in such a way that your boss wishes they had 10 more people just like you. Can I get an amen? As Christians, we should not be complainers at work. We should not be moaning. We should not be lazy. That's not, that's not acceptable for a Christian. Amen? One of the biggest compliments I get at the company I've worked for for 32 years, when they're hiring people, they come to me and say, especially in San Jose, they say, any more people from your church we can hire? Because those Christians, they work hard around here. And I'm like, praise the Lord for that. Amen? It led to some of those managers coming to our church in Santa Cruz and some of them got saved. So praise God for that. Amen? It says to be obedient, to be well-pleasing in all things. Again, should be, a, again, not only the best workers, but have the best attitude. We ought to obey God rather than man. The only time we, we disagree with our boss is if he wants us to do something ungodly. And then we probably just need to quit. Amen? Notice it says they're not answering back. Well-pleasing and not answering back. We're not to be rebellious. Why do I always get the crummy jobs? Why do I always get the bad shift? Why do I... Thank God you have a job and honor God in it. Can I get an amen? Thank God for it and be faithful in it. Instead, should joyfully respond and go out and get the job done. If you're digging ditches, dig ditches for Jesus. Can I get an amen? And I used to dig ditches and I used to work in concrete and I worked in a lumber yard. And God would remind me every day, wherever you're working, you do your job as unto the Lord that God might be glorified. Amen? And, and there'll be an opportunity for the gospel. Finally, it says there, not pilfering. Don't steal from your boss. We all say, well, duh, I'm a Christian. I wouldn't do that. I'll end with this. My uncle, and I had an uncle in Houston that owned a big manufacturing company and went to visit him. This is 20-something years ago. And he's taking me through his company, and he's like, he's, I go, man, you got a lot of security in here. He goes, the security, all this, those are for the people that steal from the outside. I really can't stop the people that steal from the inside. He goes, all my employees steal. I'm like, wow, really? That's not the best attitude. He goes, they all steal. They all steal. I go, oh, come on. Really? Uncle Roger, really? Well, just let me ask you a question. You work for a company, right? Yeah. You ever, taken a, you ever made a copy on the copy machine for something personal? <laughs> ever use a paper clip on something that wasn't for work? Ever had a lunch for an hour and five minutes? Yeah, you know, he's going down the list. He's like, see, they all steal. It's just a matter of how much. I just try to keep it to a minimum. <laughs> I was convicted, man, like... You know, if your boss comes to your house, he shouldn't find your stuff, his stuff. Can I get an amen? I've been looking for that coffee mug. I was wondering where that went. Can I get an amen? At work, do your job as unto the Lord and do not uh, work a full day. Don't take stuff that doesn't belong to you. Bring God glory and honor and praise. Can I get an amen to that? Don't pilfer. And it says there, but showing all good fidelity that they may adorn the doctrine of God, our savior in all things. 
When you, when you work well, it brings glory and honor to the name of our Savior. Again, do your job as unto the Lord. How many of you have ever had a job you didn't like? I have. I've had jobs I didn't like, but you know what? That's why they call it work, not vacation. Can I get an amen? When you go to work, you're called to work. Fidelity is honesty. Christians should be honest, able to be trusted with a pen or a million dollars that they might adorn. The word adorn, there's to shine beauty on, to take precious jewels and arrange them so as to show true beauty. At some time, we can show, at the same time, we can show the beauty of the gospel in the way that we live, in the way that we work, in the way that we help others at work, in the way that we glory and honor to the name of our Savior. We can glorify God in the most menial of tasks if we do it as unto the Lord. The gospel is adorned when it affects the lives um, when it affects on life and character as an expression of what, who God is and what he's done for us. Jesus died on the cross for us. We can work hard for him. Can I get an amen? Do everything as unto the Lord. So as we prepare for communion, behavior becoming a belief in the life of an older man, sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, sound in love, patient. In the life of an older woman, reverent, not a slanderer, not given to much wine, teachers of good things. In the life of a younger woman, to love her husband, to love her children, to be discreet, chaste, a homemaker, to be good, to be obedient. In the life of a young man, to be sober-minded, self-controlled. The actions of servants and employees, to be obedient to their bosses, well-pleasing in all things, not to be rebellious, not pilfering, not stealing from the boss, showing all good fidelity. Guys, when we believe, it should change how we behave. Amen. Amen? And because we know Jesus, we should live different than the world. Now, as we prepare for communion, the Bible says, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. When we do this, there's three things we want to do. Look back to the cross of Calvary. He says, as often as you do this, remember the greatest act of love in all of human history. Jesus loved you so much, he'd rather die than live without you. Amen. So you look back to the cross, remembering what he's done for you. But the Bible also says we should examine our own hearts before him. So not only do we look back to the cross, but look within. Be there any wicked way in me? If there needs to be confession made or repentance made right now before you take the elements, I want to encourage you to do that. If you're convicted to do that, get right with God. But not only do we look back to the cross and look within, examining our own hearts. But Jesus said to them, the next time I do this with you, I'll do it in heaven. There's going to be a day coming when we take communion in heaven. Amen. When we come to the Lord's table in heaven, and part of what I love to do is look forward and anticipate, because guys, heaven's better, amen? amen? And there's a day coming when we will stand before the King of Kings. Lord, we thank you. We praise you. We love you as we go to this time of communion right now. Lord, I pray it would be a time of reverence, of reflection, as an act of worship for all you've done for us. May we never allow the cross of Calvary to grow common. Lord, we do this in remembrance of you, out of your love for us. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You know us best and you love us most. Lord, be glorified as we remember the cross, as we take these elements. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The men are gonna